Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. So uh, let's pray. We're going to get into the Word of God. Father, we thank you because we know you're doing something that's great. We thank you for that time of worship that was so so on point, God. But we pray, Lord, in the same way we engage with you in worship, we pray that you would engage with us and us with you in this time of preached word. Father, I pray that our eyes would be open, Lord, that we'd be able to see and understand what does it mean to be alone and not yet be alone, to, to feel like we're, we're, we're abandoned, but yet to know confidently that we're not. Father, I pray that you would be uh, present in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 15. Uh, if, you're, if, you're with us, if you're with us today in worship, I mean, if you're going to be with us for a while in worship here through the rest of the month, we'll be finishing up the Gospel of John. And uh, as we finish up the Gospel of John, we'll just kind of go uh, just about a, a chapter each Sunday. And uh, so we're getting close to the end now. So John chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 18, and we're going to work our way to the middle of chapter 16. And so uh, hopefully you can uh, follow right along. Here's what the word says. And Jesus speaking says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among, if I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth goes out from the father. He will testify about me. And you must testify for you have been with me from the beginning. This morning, I'm going to try to sum up five things, and we'll read the rest of the, we'll read chapter, chapter 16 in just a minute, but I'm going to try to sum up five things. So if you're taking notes, here's what, I want to, here's what I want to give you this morning. Here's the five points that you can think about throughout the rest of this message. The first point I want to give you this morning is this. We should, let me say that again, we should be rejected by the world if we belong to Jesus. We should be rejected by the world if we belong to Jesus. I'm going to come back and unpack these, but I want you to get them so you can be thinking about them. Second, Jesus chose us and he gave us a new birthright. Third, 
The revelation of Jesus is the conviction of Christlessness. The revelation of Jesus is the conviction of Christlessness. Fourth, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the proof of Jesus' life. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the proof of Jesus' life. And finally, all knowledge of God comes through the confirming nature of the Holy Spirit. All knowledge of God comes through the confirming nature of the Holy Spirit. So let's go back to the very beginning and get going in this text today. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Jesus, in his teaching, is leading from a place of assumption. He's assuming that you're not surprised that you're feeling that rejection. He's assuming that you're not surprised that push is coming against you. He's assuming that push and rejection are coming your way. If the world hates you, be not surprised because it hated me first. Jesus is identifying both with us and he's helping us to identify with him. He's speaking to his disciples and he's assuring them, hey guys, I know you've been following me and we've been doing this walk for a while, but what's about to happen coming next in my story is going to hurt a lot, but I want to set you up because you're going to feel alone when the persecution starts to come your way. Think about it this way. Right now, Jesus in many ways for the disciples had kind of been a buffer. When the pressure came, when the finger started pointing, Jesus stood in front and kind of shielded the disciples. But in a minute, Jesus is going to be taken away. In a minute, Jesus is going to go pay the ultimate price. And once that happens, the persecution that comes will have nobody to stand in front of it. The identifier will be you're a follower of Jesus. You were a follower of the way. You once walked with that guy. And the fingers that used to point at Jesus will now begin to point at those who followed Jesus. And so Jesus' word to the disciples, Jesus' encouragement to the disciples is, you're not alone. Now, when we're sitting here in this moment, that might not feel like much of an encouragement. But when was the last time you was going through something? The last time you was in the midst of something, the last time it seemed like the world was falling apart, um, one, one of my mentors always said that following Jesus oftentimes feels like the deck of cards is, that the house of cards is going to come crumbling down, right? It feels like at any given point, the bottom's going to get pulled out because it just feels like you're like striving so hard, but they just feel like at any point it could all unravel. And he says the thing that holds it together is the recognition that Jesus himself had that same experience. Think about this. The disciples in a minute are going to question everything. We get it, right? Holy Week just passed not that long ago. And in the emotion of Holy Week, we were remembering the, uh, you know, the, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, right, where, where Jesus is on the donkey and everybody's excited. Hosanna, Hosanna, my Savior is coming. My Savior is coming. And the movement through Holy Week to the point where everybody's shouting, crucify him, crucify him. But when everybody's shouting, crucify him, crucify him, the disciples who were riding into town with Jesus are now hiding, because they're scared that everything's going to come apart. 
that everything, that every, the, the one who used to be the buffer for them is gone. And now they've got to figure this out. And Jesus' word to them, Jesus' word to us, is when you're in the midst of that, it might feel like you're alone, but you're not. It might feel like you're the only one who's ever had to deal with this, but you're not. Did you ever go through a crisis? Maybe you lost somebody you love. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you got a job and that seemed awful. Maybe you were just going through something and somebody came alongside of you. They didn't have all the answers for you. They didn't fix all the problems. They just identified with you. Like, yeah, I've been in that. I have a sense of what that feels like. For all of you who are here in a yellow shirt, uh, you're not in a yellow shirt right now, but you'll be in a yellow shirt most of the summer, so I'll identify it that way. For all of you who are here serving in the yellow shirts this summer, you're going to have those moments. You're going to have those moments you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what I'm going through. Now watch this, watch this. Here's, here's my word of encouragement to you. You're not alone. You're not alone. There have been about 130 people who have done it before you, right? And they've gone through it. So you're going to be in 12 weeks of it. And some of us going to feel like, ah, you know, amazing. And some of us going to feel like, ah, I don't know if I can make it through. Yeah. You're not alone. There's some people who have been in it with you and they're, I mean, are willing to be in it with you now and have been in it with you before. Jesus' word to disciples is, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. It originated. I'm the OG. I'm the one that they started this with. They're just continuing that with you. He goes on to say, if you belong to this world. Now, now the word belonged is really important there, right? If you're translating that back into Greek, it's really, if you are of this world. Belong, meaning you're of, you're from, you're, your origins are right here. If you were of this world, this world is really a part of you, then the world would love you, and it would embrace you as if you were its own. Think about it, right? Like Jesus is saying to the disciples, the reason why they hate you is because you don't look like them. You don't talk like them. You don't walk like them. You don't act like them. If you, if you look like them, and you talk like them, and you walk like them, and you act like them, they wouldn't have any objection to you. But something in you has changed. Ironically, they look like them, and they, they used to act like them, and they used to walk like them, and they used to talk like them, and they used to have the same kind of jobs as them, but then something in them changed. I hope somebody's understand what I'm saying this morning. Something in them changed. God did something. Jesus, in their midst, did something. When he called them out of their profession, when he called them out of their house, when he called them off of their block, when he called her off of the corner, when he allowed them to follow along, what happened in them, something radically changed. Maybe something shifted in your life before. Maybe you used to look a certain kind of way. You used to act a certain kind of way. You used to do a certain kind of thing. And all of a sudden, they interject Jesus, and your life changed. Some things that used to be who you were, that used to define what you did, they, they, they got eradicated from you. They got removed from you. They no longer defined who you were. And now you are a whole new person, a whole new identity. You have shifted. And as a result, nobody knows what to do with you. Has anybody had this experience before? I remember I had this experience when I was a kid. I used to, I used to walk in the ways of the world. I, I, I was kind of proud and boastful to walk in those kind of ways. And, and I had a good circle of friends that, that really enjoyed those things. And, and when Jesus interjected into my life, I, I remember it was kind of like, a, you, know, you know, something that was going in one direction, completely shifting over here. And, and, and I became fanatical about it. But when I became so fanatical about it, there was a friend group that I had around me that, that didn't understand what I was so fanatical about. They didn't understand what I was so excited about. They 
didn't understand why I was so preachy about it. And what ended up happening is I, I remember getting pushed away. I remember looking back one day and saying, where that group of people that used to hang with me? Where's that group of people that used to want to hang out, that used to want to do the things I was doing, that, that we used to be able to roll together? And all of a sudden, there was a distance. Maybe you've had that kind of thing. Jesus' disciples had that. Family rejection, peer rejection. But even worse than that, what was coming their way, what hadn't happened yet, but what was going to happen. Persecution to the point of death, even death on a cross inverted. Jesus was setting the disciples up to understand that what was going to come their way was a result of what he had already had to endure. You belong to the world? Are you still of the world? All of us once belonged to the world. Let's just identify this. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter how upright and blameless your mom and dad were. It doesn't matter what church you became a part of from the moment you came into the world. You belonged to the world. Until this place in life where you had a confessional moment with God, you belonged to the world. It doesn't matter if you had been promised at birth. It doesn't matter if your hand, the, the pastor had laid hands on you, the pastor had dunked you, the pastor had sprinkled you, you know, the upright father had come and given some kind of blessing in this direction. It doesn't matter. You belong to the world until you yielded your life to Jesus. And if you haven't yielded your life to Jesus, let me just say this right now. You still belong to the world. I don't say that to judge you. I say that to invite you. I say that because that, that I'm recognizing with you that there's something greater that you're invited to that you haven't entered into yet. Just showing up doesn't get you in. Just being a part doesn't get you in. Yielding your life to Jesus, surrendering and saying, God, you are now my priority. You are now my way out. You are now the one who I follow. Yielding your way to Jesus changes not just our eternity, but it changes our origins. Jesus says, if you belonged to this world, the world would, not, would love you as if, it was, as if you were its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Why? I have chosen you. I have chosen you. Can you guys remember being in middle school? I, they stopped doing this when you got to high school. But do you remember being in middle school? I'm going to scar some memories. Come on. Come on. Put your hand up if you can remember all the way back to middle school. Come on. Come on. Come on. If you can't remember back to middle school, it's okay. This is probably a memory you would want to forget anyway. But in middle school, probably it was around the time when they ended. In middle school, they used to do the thing in gym class where they would allow, they would allow kids to pick teams. You were going to play kickball. And they would say, all right, everybody on the red line. And everybody would line up on the red line. And then they would let the best boy and the best girl, or maybe the best two boys, stand up there and pick their teams. Yeah. You guys remember this story? Yeah. Come on, does anybody remember that? Does anybody remember, anybody remember wanting to get picked first and not getting picked till closer later? Yeah. Come, am I the only one that got picked toward the end? <laughs> Come on, I'm not the only one. Some other people, right? I always remember, like, you know, like, I was just like, man, I just, one day, I just want to, I want to move up the line. I want to move up the line. And in my mind, in my mind, I had the ability to play as if I should be up at the front of the line. My, 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 I had limitations, which were reality, but in my mind, I had the ability to play as if I should be in the front of the line. It helps me to hear this. 
Watch this. Jesus chose me. He chose me. He's not obligated in a relationship because I chose him. Oh, I hope you get this. He's not obligated in a relationship because I chose him. I didn't look up in the sky and say, hey, Jesus, you're mine. I picked you. And he was like, oh, all right, fine. I'll have the Ray guy on my team. It's not how it went. Before the first page of life was written, Jesus said, I want you. I want, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah, 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 it's a little, a little round on the edges, I want you. Yeah. Doesn't matter if you can kick hard or not, I want you. Yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna blow it a bunch of times. I want you. And the scripture says that, that the disciples belong to Jesus because he chose them. And we belong to Jesus because he chose us. I'm in, I'm in the second half of verse 19. As it is, you no longer belong to the world because I have chosen you out of the world. I've picked you from where you once were, and I've brought you to something new. I've invited you into something. Uh, uh, th this is... this. Th Peter picks this up later in, in, uh, in one of his letters, and he talks about the spirit of adoption, right? But the spirit of adoption, as rich as that theology is, really falls short in this sense. True adoption, as Jesus describes it, not only changes our identity, it changes our origin. He chose us from what's what, where we once started and gave us a whole new starting place. He gave us a whole new place of belonging. He gave us a whole new uh, subscript to, to, to write our life about. This is why the world now hates us. Jesus, you invited me into something that was going to change my life forever. But as a result, people around me are going to reject me. They're not rejecting me because of how right I am. They're not rejecting me because of how much I read it. They're not even rejecting me because of how much I act like Jesus. Read what the scripture says. The world rejects you because Christ chose you. Go back and look at that scripture with me for a minute. The world rejects you, verse 19, because Christ chose you. Jesus choosing you changed everything. It changed everything. And even if nothing has changed yet, it changed everything everything. Remember what I told you? A servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me. They'll persecute you. This is Jesus teaching. He says, if they were willing to do this to me, they're going to do it to you too. Now, I don't know about you, but when I... When, when I need comfort, here's what I do. When I need comfort, when I need comfort, there's two people in my life that I call. First, I call my wife because my biblical counselor told me that's a good thing to do. And then second, I call my mom because she's got a little more experience at comforting me than my wife because we've been around each other longer, right? And so I call these two ladies and I'm just like, my life is falling apart. And they're like, okay, Ray, it's okay. Here's a hug. Here's a, 
tough love kind of thing. And, 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 and here's a gift card to your favorite restaurant. Go out to eat. And it's going to be all right. And that just kinda, that's kind of how I speak my comfort language. So thank you, Mom. I'll look for that in the mail. And, uh, and that'll be really good. But Jesus' comfort language was way different. Right? Think about this. The disciples are like, uh, you just told me that everything is going to fall apart. You just told me the house of cards is going to come crashing down, and you said, hey, don't worry about it. It happened to me too. That's your comfort language. Jesus' comfort language is, oh, yeah, yeah, been there, done that. Been there, done that. You're like, no, it's going all wrong. And Jesus like, yeah, no, 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 no. Been there, been there, done that. You're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. That, I mean, that, that's not exactly the way I would script the comfort language. You know, like if somebody comes to you and they need a word of encouragement, don't say to them, been there, don't say to them, been there, done that, you're going to be all right. That's not really the encouragement that you're looking for. You see, the disciples were having the sense of, I'm going to be all alone. Like, there's nothing left. That, 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 when, when all the pressures come, there's no one here with me. And Jesus' word is, yeah, it's coming. I know because it came to me too, and it's going to be all right. Jesus goes on to say to them, so because the pressures are coming, just obey my teaching. Just obey my word. See, if, if people would obey my word, then then they wouldn't be doing the things that they're doing. If they would obey my word, then they wouldn't be coming at you the way they are. So you hold true to my word, hold true to what I taught you, hold true to what I said to you, because then you're going to be an example to them, because, see, that's gonna, it's going to right the ship. Things are going to begin to change. Now, now, I don't know, like, when persecution comes my way, my first thought isn't like, how can I help this person recognize how wrong they are while they're persecuting me? My first thought is like, you know, like, duck and cover, right? You know, like defend yourself in some kind of way. Usually with the scripture, I try to hide behind the book or I try to invite someone of my, my pastor friends around me to be, to be a help. But, but in some way, when, when, when pressure comes in, my thought isn't about your salvation. My thought is about like, ah, I, like, I don't want this to hurt so bad. Am I the only one? Is somebody else out there today, like, it, when pressure comes your way, do you, do you feel that way too a little bit? Like, man, I, I just, I don't want it to hurt like it's hurting. Just, just take the pain away. Like, hey, God, like, I, don't, I, I can take this much, not this much. Like, come on, like, lessen up a little bit. And Jesus says to them, he says, but if they would just obey my word, they wouldn't do this to you. Well, I, I know, Jesus, but... They're not obeying your word, I can tell, because of how I feel. I feel it coming at me right now. That, that doesn't feel like the way you had, me, had set me up for. Look at verse 22 with me. And Jesus says, but if I had not come and spoken to them, they wouldn't be guilty of their sin. But now, they are without excuse. We ain't got time for this, but go over, if you, when you get time today, later, go over and look at Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, this, the, the same phrase is picked up, this idea of, of being guilty of sin because of the presence of Jesus. And uh, he talks about an age of ignorance and God forgiving an age of ignorance, but interject Jesus, and now there's an, a, an accountability for sin. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, hey, like, because I was here, nobody no longer can say, there's no one who can any longer say, I didn't know, because I was here. So I've opened the eyes, 
And now everybody is accountable for what they'll do with that. So naturally, they're going to reject you because what they're now accountable to is something they don't want to be a part of, is identifying and understanding that they're not living up to the standards of God, that, that there's a reality that's pointing to another eternal place than where I'm inviting them to go. See, the reality of what Jesus just invited them into, that he's talking about with the disciples is this, because of the way that I came and lived, no one can any longer say that there is no God, because God came and dwelt among them. And as a result, everybody has to be accountable for the relationship they have or do not have with God. Some people will be envious that God has invited you in, that he chose you, that you were murky and you were dirty and it didn't make sense, but he picked you anyway. And some people will look at that with jealousy and envy and they'll be frustrated at you because you have something with God that they feel like they cannot have. Other people will just be distant from you because you represent something that they don't want to be a part of. They say, I don't want to be a part of this thing that you have with God. And the reason I don't want to be a part of it is because it means that my life needs to go this direction. And I'm not ready to give up control of that. And Jesus is saying to the disciples, get ready. Get ready. Now, I take you back to the beginning of the sermon. And I said to you at the very beginning, I said, Jesus is speaking from a place of assumption. He's assuming that you and I know that this is coming and that we're inviting it in because we're willing to stand with him. Yes. We're willing to say, Jesus, I'm not trading you in for that. I'm not giving up on you for that. Yeah, that, that persecution feels awful. And yeah, the, you know, the, the fight is hard, but I'm not giving up on that. I'll stand with you in this. Maybe that's something that you and I might want to to ask the Father, are we really in that place? Are we, are we committed to the point of saying, I won't trade this in? Am I willing to be obedient to Jesus and in so doing, remain obedient to the people who Jesus was with? Verse 24, Jesus says, uh, the second half of verse 24, he says, as it is, they have seen, the people of the world have seen, and yet they have hated me and my father. Why? Because what Jesus came and represented was a change, something that would shift their realities. Let me just speak to every one of us for a second and saying, the world will hate you, but it's not you that they will hate. They'll hate the one that you stand for. They're, they'll reject you, but it's not really you that they'll reject. They'll reject the one you stand for. If you don't believe me, you can test my theory. Just stop standing for them and see how quickly they embrace you. Right? They don't reject you. They don't reject me. They just reject what we stand for, who we stand with, whom we seek to look like. And honestly, the more we look like him and the more often or frequently we stand with him and the more passionately we pursue him, the greater the rejection will feel. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. It's going to cost you a whole lot of something. And where you're sitting right now, you get to define how much of that cost you're willing to pay? How much of that price you're willing to scribe in? 
when is it too much? Is it too much when it's costing me something with my family? Is it too much when it's costing me something with my wants? Is it too much when it's literally costing me something financially? Is it, is it too much when it's asking me for things or costing me things that are personal to me? Where is that line where you say it's too much? I remember the scriptures suggesting that Jesus navigated that question on Good Friday. It's not too much. It's everything, but it's not too much. Chapter 16, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. Jesus teaching, all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. You will not be ensnared or, or trapped. Jesus is not talking about an eternal uh, falling away. This is not like a, you were once headed to heaven, but now you're heading to hell. Matter of fact, that theology doesn't hold a whole lot of water. I hate to let you in on something if you've been buying something else. But when Jesus grabs a hold of you, when Jesus confirms, you, confirms that you're his, when Jesus, from the beginning of time, called your name, there's nothing that changes that reality. There's nothing that shifts that there are times when I, when I stand more freely in there, and there are times when Jesus holds me tight so that I don't run away, but there's nothing that can grab me and take me out of the hand. There's nothing that can take me from a heavenly destination and move me to a place of hell. There are things that, that just that, that don't look right. There are things that don't line up right because sometimes I don't act right, and I don't sound right, and I don't talk right, and I don't walk right. But the reality is that Jesus declared that I'm his, and that destiny is forever defined. There's nothing that changes that. And so if you're walking with Jesus today, please understand when he says, I have told you all this so that you will not fall away, he's not talking about you missing your eternal boat. He's talking about you living like you, you're, you're on your way somewhere and not living differently than that. See, he, he, what he's talking about is being ensnared or being, being trapped or being tripped up in something earthly, not something eternally. They will put you out of the synagogue. And in fact, this time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. In other words, the rejection will be so strong that it'll cost you everything. He's talking to the disciples. He's looking at you in the eyes and he's saying, if you're really going to follow me, it could, it could cost you your life. And in fact, it will come to a point where it will cost some of you your life. You'll be rejected in the place that you feel like you should be home, the synagogue. You'll be rejected in the place where your voice should be welcome. But instead, you're going to be put out. And when they put you out, they might even put you to death. You remember what Paul does in the book of Acts, right? He goes around preaching in the book of Acts. And, and, uh, and uh, he walks into a synagogue and he teaches. And he's beginning to teach. And he's so excited about teaching. And some people get really mad at him. You know what they do? They stone him. They drag him into the middle of town and they stone him. They leave him for dead. The scripture says that the, the, the disciples that were around him, the, the people who were following him, came around him. And Paul was revived. It's a crazy story. But then when he was revived, they looked at him and said, Paul, we should run. And he said, no. 
Let's go back into the synagogue again. And he goes right back into the same place where he had just been rejected and they tried to put him to death and he begins to preach again. Now I ain't Paul. You throw a rock at me, I'm getting in my car. <laughs> right? But, but Paul, he's a hero of mine, so they already wrote books about him. But, but he runs back into the place where he, where he was rejected, and they tried to put him to death. And he says, no, here, I'm going to stand for Jesus. Peter, the one who denied Jesus on the day that Jesus was hung on the cross, and, and, and Peter, the one who ran to the tomb and saw that Jesus had been resurrected, goes on to live his days to, to be the formative block on which the church was built. And the scripture suggested when he was put to death, he yielded his life to Jesus, in this, in, to, to the Father, in the same way that Jesus did, hanging on a cross. He was willing to face martyrdom in order to follow Jesus. Jesus talking to the disciples in a time in which they're already feeling a little bit alone. He says, it could cost you everything. You should probably get ready for that. I told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you asked me, where, where are you going? Rather, you were filled with grief because I said that I'm leaving. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away. Now just stop right there before I read anymore. I told you that this message was entitled, well, I think I, I meant to tell you if I didn't tell you, this message was entitled to be something that, that helps us to wrestle with the feeling of, of being alone at times, but balancing that with a promise that we're actually never alone. So Jesus has just said all of this, and the disciples have been following along, and, and they probably were feeling a little bit like you're feeling, like, man, Jesus, I don't, I don't know, I don't feel real encouraged by that, and it seems like you're going a little bit long right now. Could we just wind it down? Could you bring it home with some kind of like, yeah, I feel better. And Jesus, being the much better preacher than me, says this. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. You've got to let me go, folks. Because if I don't go, the one who's greater than me is not going to be in you. But if I go, I promise you, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the, world, prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Jesus says that if the disciples will ready themselves, he is going to go to be with the Father, but on his behalf, he will give to them the advocate we call the advocate, the Holy Spirit. He will come to live in you, and it is through the power of God present in your life that sin is defeated, that rejection no longer has authority, and that, and, and that at the very end that judgment is passed because the Spirit of God is your seal, that you belong to the Father, and no matter what these days have held, and no matter how much pressure has come against you, and no matter how much you felt alone, you have been guaranteed that God is present with you you in it and through it, and that God will redeem you to a day and to a place that is greater than you're in right now. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
I've got much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you, all that belongs to the Father. If you got your Bible, look at this with me really quickly. I'm in, uh, I'm in John 16, and I'm looking at verse 15. If you've got your Bible, I, I want you to see this. I'm going to tie this together for you in a way that, that hopefully just kind of drives home what we're talking about. John 16, 15, Jesus says, let me hear an amen if you're there. Amen. John 16, 15, all that belongs to the Father is mine. Jesus says, all that belongs to the Father is mine. In John 17, Jesus is in the garden praying, and when he's in the garden praying, he says, he, he says, when he prays for the disciples, he says, I prayed for everyone who you gave me. Everyone who you gave me. Jesus says in John 16, 15, all that belongs to my Father is mine, is mine. I have authority over it. I have power over it. It belongs to me. So what will he do with it? He will entrust it to the Holy Spirit. Jesus came full of life with you and with me to live in a way that we could not, to die in a way that we deserve, to resurrect in a way that we might join him. But watch this. He did that for all that belonged to him. I said, I'm going to tie it up. Remember back at the beginning of the passage, I talked about being the middle school kid who got picked in gym class, right? Same story, right? Jesus chose, oh, come on, somebody hear this. Jesus chose you. Jesus chose you. You now belong to the Father because Jesus chose you. Now watch this. I remember a day, I remember a day when I was getting married. I was, it was my wedding morning. I was, I was standing in the little chapel outside of the sanctuary, and I remember, I remember praying, and, I, and I've told this story before. It's, it's one of the few times I feel like I audibly heard the voice of God. I was crying out, and I was like, God, I can't. God, I can't. How can I be a, how can I be a husband? I have no idea how to be a husband. I'm going to stink at this job. And I remember the comfort of God that came in that moment when Jesus said, I chose you. I, cho I defined this for you. I set you up for this. I chose you. Right? I remember another time I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at uh, uh, Abington Hospital, and, and we've been going through the night trying to get this baby into the world, and, and, and they wheel my wife back into the back room, and they say, in just a few minutes, the baby's going to come out. You can come and, and hold that child. And, and I remember thinking, that's not a good idea. That's not a good idea. See, up until this point, I had never held a baby. Jess, you're already doing better than me already. I had never held a baby, right? And so I, I, I remember going back into that room, and, and, and there my wife was, and, and the baby was coming into the world, and, and, and he came out, and they handed him to me. And I was like, ah, like football position, what do I do? Like, how do I, what do I do with this? And I remember in a moment that seemed like time was standing still, I remember this moment with God where I was like, God, how can I? How could I ever? Like, I'm going to stink at being a dad. And he said, but Ray, I chose you. I could have chose anybody. And I chose you. I picked you for this moment. And, and I felt encouraged. And I, and I held that baby in a football position. And I ran him over there. And I gave him to my wife. Best thing I'd ever done. I gave him to my wife and said, hey, you're better at this than me already. But, but God chose me for that moment. I want you to get this today. Jesus 
in a word of comfort to the disciples. He says, you're going to go through the ringer, and it's going to be awful. But I chose you, and I'll be with you. And then he says, and he wraps it up by saying, if you'll recognize this, not only am I with you now, but when I leave you now, I'll be even more present with you then. Jesus goes from being very present. Watch this. He goes from being very present to being omnipresent. And Jesus goes from being with the disciples in that moment to being ever-present everywhere. Let that set in for a second. He promises the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is with you in the back row on the right side, Vern, and he's with me in the front over here. And he's down the block, and he's around the way. He's on the other side of the planet and the people that are sleeping right now, and he's on this side and everybody who should have been awake to be at church today and instead is at the beach. Right? Jesus is present through the presence of the Holy Spirit. All places, all times, ever present. That is the power of God as he is present with those whom he has chosen. One, we should be rejected by the world if we belong to Jesus. The persecution that comes, we should invite in because it confirms to whom we belong. The rejection we feel, it's difficult, I know, and, and we should take care of ourselves, but know that it comes because of whom you belong to. Second, Jesus chose us and he gave us a new birthright. I didn't even dig all the way into this, but when Jesus is talking about uh, choosing us, he's talking about a place of origin. He's talking about not choosing you out of a crowd. He's talking about choosing you from the beginning of time, right? You thought your, you thought your origin was where you came from here, but Jesus says, I chose you before you had that place of origin. So I am giving you your true place, of your birthright, your true origin. Third, the revelation of Jesus is the conviction of Christlessness. When Jesus came present on earth, everything flipped upside down because those who were living without now understood the, pain, the, the guilt of their sin. I could just say one thing about that really quickly because I should have said it earlier. When you're really walking with Jesus... You're self-aware. You know the areas of your life that you have not yet yielded to Jesus. And you try to hide them, and you stuff them, and you try not to talk about them, but the Spirit of God continues to bubble those things up in you because the Spirit of God and the presence of evil do not coincide. Can I ask you to take a walk with Jesus? to have an honest moment with Jesus and say, Jesus, there's some things in my life that I haven't really yielded to you. And even if I look right on the outside, there may be things in my life that are falling apart on the inside. And if I don't invite you to do a work in me, there's no way that these things are going to be made right before you. Fourth, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the proof of Jesus in our life. He's the sign and the seal. He's the promise 
The presence of God with you is the proof. The text even suggests that the presence of God offers a, a prophetic voice, a voice that speaks of what is here and what is yet to come. That may not be in the sense of prophecy in tongues. It may be, it may not be. That's not what he's talking about here. He's simply saying that the Holy Spirit not only is in you, but the Holy Spirit confirms what is yet to come for you, the eternity, the place that is promised to you, the place that has your name written on it, that God has indeed captured you and is holding you for something that is great. And last this morning, knowledge of God comes nature of the Holy Spirit. If you're really trying to figure out what life is about, if you're really trying to figure out what does it mean to be obedient to God, if you're really trying to figure out how do you, you know, what is next, let me just offer you this. The Spirit of God is your confirmation. Would you yield to him? And as much as you seek counsel and advice from everyone else, would you spend some time with the Father? Jesus, what is next? Jesus, what do I do here? Jesus, how should this go? Allow the Holy Spirit and the presence of God to be the confirmation for what God is doing in you. Jesus offers these words to his disciples in a moment that he is preparing them for the hardest time of their life. He had been with them, and he was going to leave. And he knew the same way that you and I could imagine, that that would shake somebody to the core. And his word, but if I go, I'll give you something that's even greater. Can I just ask you to bow your heads and pray with me for a moment? Father God, I believe that something greater is yet to be revealed here. God, I believe that here in our midst, that while we show up week in and week out, there's still things in us that we've yet to say, God, you win. Prophet, priest, and king, God, you win. Lord of my life, God, you win. God, you've defined me, you've called me, you've, you, you've, uh, you, you've chosen me. God, you win. So, Lord, I ask that right now here in, in this place, in this moment, God, we might just take a moment and, and yield to you. Surrender our hearts, wills, and ways. God, fix our eyes on you and not on us. Fix our eyes on you and not on our stuff. We get, God, it's not about getting cleaned up. It's about being upright before you. It's about just being able to say, God, I need you. It's about being able to say, God, you're the only way. It's about being able to say, God, you win the day when I yield the day. God, you chose me before any of this got messed up. You chose me before any of it got cleaned up. You chose me before I screwed up. And God, you chose me in spite of the fact that I would continue to mess up. So here today, Lord God, we just yield to you. We say, God, I'm sorry for the area of my junk that I haven't given over to you. We say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've held on to in place of you. We say sorry for the times that we've doubted that you were present with us because of how the world made us feel. God, I feel alone at times when the 
world throws, uh, throws his stones at me. God, I feel alone at times when, when the persecution comes. But God, I've forgotten about the promise that the reason why the persecution is coming is because you've left to prepare a place for me and that you've given me someone that is greater in me than he that is in the world. And so that spirit of God that lives in me, might that spirit of God advocate on my behalf, but not just on my behalf. I know where my day is done. I know where, where I'm going when my days are done. I pray that the Spirit of God will begin to advocate on behalf of those who bring the persecution. I pray that the Spirit of God will begin to advocate on those who are lost. I pray the Spirit of God will begin to advocate for those who are even sitting here within the sound of the voice, but they haven't yet yielded their life to the Father. I pray, Lord God, that the Spirit of God will, will grab a hold of them and will promise them everything that you promised me. And then as a result of those things, God, that, that you might become even greater in the eyes of the world because they begin to see that you're capturing your people, that you're calling people to yourself, that you're, you're redeeming people's lives. And, and there might be people who, who we would never imagine yielding their life who begin to say, I want to yield my life to Jesus because I see what Jesus has done. I see the, the way that somebody's life has changed. I see the testimony that somebody's able to give. I believe, Lord God, that you can do that. I believe, Lord God, that you still are in the business of radically saving people. I believe, Lord God, that you call people out of the dark and into the light. And I believe, Lord God, that at times there's been darkness in my life that you want to eradicate as well. And so, Lord God, we yield to you. Amen. We yield to you, God. We, we, we beg you, God, not only be present, Lord, but be doing the salvific work of calling us, of choosing us, of reminding us of promising us that we have a day that's defined with you and from now till then we've got a job to do let us live in a way that the world might hate us because of who that we live for but as the world hates us give us a voice to invite the, invite others to be hated as well give us a voice to invite others to say this road might seem lonely but I've never felt more uh, comforted than I do right now because I know the spirit of God is in me God put me on the road and blind me on the way that I might only be able to depend on you that three days of my life I might be wandering around but what's ahead of me after those days is, 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 a, is, a, is a fullness in the light and the presence of God God I beg you today let us not just sing songs and listen to words let us yield in the name of Jesus Christ amen Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at rocksboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.